You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Harry walked slowly towards Sanktanshaven. His headache throbbed behind his eyeballs. The address Muller had given him was within walking distance. He had splashed a little water over his face, found a drop of whiskey in the cupboard under the sink, and set off hoping that the walk would clear his head. Joe Nespo is a musician, songwriter, economist, and author. His books available in English include The Red Breast and Nemesis. His new novel is The Devil's Star. He's also the main vocalist and songwriter for the Norwegian rock band Didera. In 2007, Nespo also released his first children's book, Dr. Proctor Prompapulver. Thank you for joining me, Joe. <laughs> Thank you. Did I get that name title right? Yeah, it was amazing. I was. Uh, I'm really impressed. That's um, yeah. You, you you probably know the 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 English title also. No, I don't. What is it? Well, it's actually Doctor Proctor's fart powder. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we'll we'll get to that soon enough. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, your your um, history as a, a reader. I, it interests me. What did you grow up reading? Given it. it what you ended up writing? <laughs> um, I think uh, actually uh, my first books uh, were American uh, writers like Mark Twain, Huckleberry Finn, and Mark, and uh, uh, Fenismore Cooper. Um, and then I probably turned to to or uh, my mother turned to uh, uh, Swedish writers like Astrid uh, uh, Lindgren, uh, um, and. Uh, then after that, I uh, I thought those books, you know, or uh, at least the Austrian books, was a bit boring. So I uh, went to the uh, bookshelves in my in my home. I mean, I mean, there were books all around. My mother was a librarian. My father was a uh, was a book reader. So I picked a book um, that um, that I liked. I liked I liked the look the, uh, look of the book. It had a uh, pig's head on uh, on the cover uh, on a stake, and uh, it read on the backside that uh, this was about children on a deserted island. And I thought that sounded like uh, like a great book, and I gave it to my father and said that I would like you to read this for me. This big uh, book was uh, uh, Lord of the Flies by William Golding, the Nobel Prize winner. So my father said that maybe you should wait a couple of years before I read this to you. And no, I said I I, I want you to read it right now and. Uh, so it did, and the book uh, wasn't at all what I expected it to be. Uh, so, I, I, you know, there were some places that I thought was a bit boring because I didn't really understand what was going on. So um, um, when I, my father had finished the book, he later told me that he had asked me what I thought about the book, and I said that, uh, well, I think this William Golding is quite talented, and uh, I hope that he will write a better novel than this later, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Talk to me about the fiction environment in, in Norway. I, I, what kind of crime fiction is being written by authors in your language and associated languages? What's your what kind of fermenting stew do you find yourself in these days in terms of you know competition stuff that inspires you, stuff that inspired you when you were when you were just starting out as a writer? Mm. Um. In Scandinavia right now, uh, there's yeah. a there's a wave of of 
crime literature and and uh, actually b- people been writing crime in Scandinavia for so many years now uh, and so many uh, talented people writing crime uh, it probably has to do with um uh, the two Swedish writers Sjöval and Balle who started writing uh, crime in the 70s and it was a very different kind of crime fiction it uh, dealt with uh, uh you know uh, uh society politics and it used the, the the traditional crime novel more as a vehicle for other stories and uh, i think those two writers really inspired uh, the storytellers in 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 scandinavia storytellers that would otherwise probably have turned to other genres in the literature uh, but they um uh, they focus on the crime novel and uh, it still is that wave uh, way in the 90s there was a lot of um female uh, crime writers especially norwegian crime writers that was really great and they also paved the way for uh, for what's happening right now with uh, all these um uh, swedish and norwegian and some some danish writers uh uh, exporting their uh, their fiction uh, all over the world, um, but I think that what inspired me was was uh, uh, not especially uh, the the Scandinavian crime writers. I was probably more inspired by um, uh, movies and also some American crime writers. I mean, I I read from a young age on, but I I read everything and uh, i wasn't especially interested in crime fiction but i there was two writers that i really liked and one was jim thompson uh, the american writer who wrote in the 50s and 60s um for example the killer inside me mm-hmm. which in my opinion is one of the great uh crime novels it's um in my opinion it's uh, it's um he wrote uh, uh, american psycho mm-hmm. long before Easton ellis did it so 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 it was um he he was sort of a favorite but also the graphic novels writer uh, Frank Miller mm-hmm. of uh, Sin City and uh, and the Batman series he was a he was a great inspiration for me um but those were like my 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 heroes in the, in the crime fiction uh, other than that I, I I probably saw more crime movies than I read crime uh, novels and uh, uh, the movies certainly has inspired my also my style of writing. I think. Mm-hmm. Now uh, you're you're growing up. You're a reader, but you're also a musician. So tell me a little bit about your music because when I heard you read in Norwegian, it was that your language was so musical. Mm. Uh, I thought that there there's got to be a connection there. So so tell me a little bit about your history as a musician. Did you were you a teenage uh, rock star? I wasn't. All my friends were, or <laughs> or, or was on the way to be, to becoming in the, in their own minds at least. Um, so um, they asked me if I if I could write lyrics for them. So what I did when I was like fourteen, fifteen was I wrote lyrics for for my friends who played in bands, and I really wanted to play in the band uh, at some time, but. I I was playing soccer all the time, so I never got around to learn to play an instrument. Um, it wasn't until I was 22 when I had started. Uh, I had to give up soccer because I broke ligaments in, in in both knees. So I had to come up with. I you know I was sure I was going to become a professional soccer player playing for Tottenham Hotspur in London. Mm-hmm. At least that was my plan. So I broke my ligaments and I had to come up with a plan B. Uh, which was to study um, economics and uh, business administration at the university in in Bergen. And it was when I was in Bergen the first year 
um, a guy came into the cantina and he asked, uh, he was forming a group and he asked if there was anybody there who could play the guitar. Now, I had bought the guitar the year before and I had learned two chords. So, <laughs> you know, I said, yeah, yeah, I, I can play the guitar. And he said, okay, how many chords do you know? Uh, three. <laughs> uh, so eventually he, he learned me the, the, the third chord and, uh, uh, and I played in that band for, uh, for four years. And then I moved to, uh, back to Oslo uh, where I was born. And um, uh, my brother uh, was there and um, he had a group of, uh, pro with professional musicians. But they didn't have a songwriter, and I'd been writing songs for uh, four years. So um, he asked me um, if we, if if I want to be in the band, and um, the rest of the guys they liked the songs, and so we started playing at this very small club in Oslo. Uh, now um, I I wasn't a great guitar player and, and not a great singer either. So and. Um, uh, my brother wasn't a great guitarist either, so we we sounded awful. But uh, we got a gig at this club because a bass player he worked there, and um, uh, after that we got another gig and then another gig. No, not because we sounded any better, but um, because we were so cheap. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and what we did was actually we 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 had to change the name of the band every week so that people would come back. <laughs> <laughs> and um, um, but after a year, uh, year and a half, having played um, uh, that club, you know, so regularly, we we uh, became better, and um, people started asking uh, for us, you know. They, uh, but but since we didn't have a name, they would ask uh, the barkeeper, uh, uh, "Are those guys going to play next next week?" And um, that ended up as the name of the group, those guys. So uh, the name that you pronounced so correctly that's uh, that means those guys so uh, after uh, uh, after that uh, we kept on playing and one day uh, the boss of a big recording company Universal uh, showed up and he had heard about the group and I heard about the songs and the lyrics for the songs and so he offered us a record deal and uh, a year later we um, our first album was uh, released which uh, uh, was the big success. I mean, it sold uh, about 5,000 copies, but uh, I thought it was just amazing, the idea of, you know, 5,000 people coming into a record store, having all the records in the world to choose from, and they would actually choose our record. I, I thought that was fantastic. Um, unfortunately, the, the, the record company didn't think that was so <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> So, um, so when we were recording our second album, uh, we sort of knew that if we if that album wasn't a hit, that would probably be our last record. So, uh, the last day of the recording of the second album, um, the producer asked me, "Do do do you have a? This is a great album, but do you have a radio hit?" And I asked him, "What, uh, what is a radio hit?" Uh, well, do you have any other songs that one uh, one we recorded? Well, I have one more song. I said, and then I went into the studio, and I played it I played it for him on guitar, and then he came back on the talkback and he said, "That's a radio hit." What was the title of the song? 
It's called uh, Girls. <laughs> There's a classic tune for a classic subject for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's uh, we. Uh, I counted at one time, and I think nine out of ten uh, songs are about girls. So uh, it's, it's 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 sort of summed up the uni- the universe of our band. Those uh, <laughs> those guys. So uh, that was like, uh, and after that, we were a big hit in Norway, and we started touring. And uh, yeah, we've been been playing ever since. Well, that's fantastic. Now, were you working as an economist at this time? I was, and um, so so it was very tough, you know, because we had um, uh, we used to play only weekends, Mm -hmm. and I I worked as a stockbroker and a financial analyst. Um, But after our breakthrough, uh, three years after that, uh, we were doing one hundred and eighty gigs a year. A year. Jeez, and, that's every uh, other night. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that's a and, lot. Um, and, and the crazy thing is that I had promised my mother that I wouldn't give up my day job, uh, whatever happened. <laughs> so while the rest of the group was playing full-time, I was I was working as a stockbroker in daytime. So my day would be like I would be at my office uh, talking to the stock exchange. And at 4 o'clock, you know, when, uh, when you could hit the bell and the stock exchange closed i would grab my bag and run out into the street and uh, get a cab and go to the airport get the plane get to wherever my band was playing uh maybe in time for the sound check uh maybe in time for dinner hopefully in time for the gig <laughs> and then uh, after midnight um the after the gig the the guys would go off to some party with some beautiful girls well i have to go back to the hotel to get some hours sleep to get on the first plane to get back to oslo hopefully in time for when the stock exchange opened at nine o'clock and uh, at four o'clock you would hear the bell again and i would gra- grab my bag run out to the street get a cab get the plane to where my band was uh, my life was like that for one year and after that year i i was totally exhausted so I uh, I went to my boss and I said that I have to take six months off. And I went to my band and I said that I have to have at least a year off. So we're not going touring for a while. We're not going to record for a while. And I'm going away. And that was when I came up with the idea of writing a novel. Because I, I, I knew I was going to be away for a long time. And I was going to be uh, on my own in Australia. So why not uh, write a novel? Now, why Australia? Um, Coincidence. (laughs) It it, it was just more, I wanted to go there and a friend of mine, he came with me for the first two weeks because he had lived there for three years. So he had a holiday. So uh, so I said, okay, uh, we'll go together for the first two weeks. Then you'll go back and I'll be uh, on my own and... uh, uh, I'll have I'm, I'm, I must have something to do so um, but he he was frustrated because he thought like we were going on, on vacation together but what happened was that I planned uh, the first novel with my character Harry Hole um, on the plane from Oslo to Sydney that takes about 35 hours and um, when I landed in, in Sydney I, I went through customs I took a cab uh, we checked into the hotel, and uh, it was in the middle of the night. But uh, I was so jet lagged, so instead of going to sleep, I would take out my laptop and start writing about his character Harry Hole, who uh, came to Australia, went through customs, took a cab to the hotel, checked into <laughs> my, to our room, and it was such a kick, you know, to start writing that my 
my my my friend he was he would get so fed up with my computer and me just sitting writing somewhere that said uh, I thought we were like going on vacation together here and you <laughs> you're just all into the your computer and um um so uh we traveled around Australia and he you know showed me a lot of places in Australia and then he had to go back and I would be on my own with my computer and uh after he had left I would I would spend no, uh, a normal day for me in Australia would be you know in sunny Sydney would be 18 hours sitting in a small dark hotel room just typing away and uh it was uh it was annoying just to be hungry you know and then I would like run literally run from from my computer uh to the nearest restaurant grab something to eat eat fast and then run back and keep on writing so I wrote uh, a normal day would be 18 hours of writing. So it was, uh, and it was amazing. It was just, uh, I realized that it was something I had been waiting to do for so many years. Wow, that's interesting. Now, talk about maybe, give me us an idea of some of your, the buildup to this, to this explosion of writing. You must have been writing something while you were um, working as a stockbroker in, in college and then, in between the gigs, to talk yeah. about that fitting, that channeling that passion through these tiny little rivers of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. Uh, uh, I probably started writing when I was like thirteen. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, I, I I wrote lyrics for other bands, uh, but I also wrote short stories. And um, what kind of short stories? Uh, any kind of short stories. Uh, it could be uh, uh, very violent short stories, or it could be very romantic <laughs> short stories, or it could be uh, um, short stories about uh, uh, a guy who went on to be a professional uh, soccer player in Tottenham Hotspur in London. <laughs> <laughs> so it could be it could be anything really. I I just. I come from a storytelling family. My mm -hmm. father was a great storyteller, and uh, my uh, my brothers were storytellers. So when we had dinner, it would would always be a competition, you know, in storytelling. And um, I can remember my my father because we uh, at an early age I I understood that you know uh, my father's stories they were exaggerations, you know, eight out of ten, and the two last were were you know lies, just <laughs> something he'd come <laughs> up with. Um, but but when we caught him in a lie, he would uh, he would refer to the to the uh, German uh, uh, German guy. He said was called Sepp Windler, who won the Nobel Prize, you know, uh, for his research, uh, where he had uh, found proof that in families where you lie on a regular basis, the average lifespan, you know, is uh, is is seven years longer than in a normal family. <laughs> 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 so I sort of believe that. So I said that okay, it's probably lying is healthy. Uh, <laughs> I should maybe uh, make that my uh, my job. Uh, anyway, I I I didn't I didn't uh, I perhaps hoped it would be my job uh, at uh, one time, but uh, or 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 in the future. Uh, but I can also remember when I was like seventeen, eighteen, going to high school. Uh, or 15, even at 15, 16, I think, uh, I had read Knut Thompson, the great Norwegian writer, you know, but that was quite serious stuff. So it was Thompson and Dostoevsky. Mm -hmm. And we used to go to this cafe in my hometown, uh, a couple of guys with, and, and we had bought like long coats and we had all, <laughs> you know, read one or maybe two 
uh, novels by Homsen uh, and Dostoevsky, and we would, you know, discuss the the uh, uh, these books with uh, great authority, and 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 uh, and we were all planning to write, you know, the big European novel. Mm-hmm. Um, all my friends they started on this novel, but uh, uh, they never finished it. Of course, uh, they had uh, uh, they had uh, big problems, you know. Uh, after the first ten pages, I can't remember what are we going to write now. So I I, I thought I'd stick to my short stories and my poems, and it wasn't until I was thirty seven that I uh, thought that okay, this is time now I'm going to write my first novel. But I was careful not to you know start writing the big european novel but just <laughs> how about the crime novel i know it has a head and a tail i know how i can write the crime story i think uh, and uh, most important i have six months off from my job now i have to finish it in six months so it has to be uh, short and uh, i'll send it to a publishing house and of course it won't be published because it will have been written in such a short time but uh, hopefully uh, I will get uh, a polite offer a letter of um, refusal saying that um, of course we can't publish this novel but we see some talent here so uh, if you're writing something else please send it to us that was that was my 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 hope for, uh, for that novel so you you uh, started out um, your first Harry Hall novel Talk about creating this character because he's such a great character and and I think really unique in that he's both repellent and appealing. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we, what is repellent about him is simultaneously very appealing about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you – what made you create a character like that and how long did you live with him before you first began to write as him? Mm. Um um, I think maybe I, he had been in my mind, and I, I'd been creating him for uh, for some time before I went to Australia. Um, he was, uh, but at then uh, at that time he wasn't a police officer. He was just a guy that I thought was interesting. Uh, what I was looking for was a guy that I could give moral dilemmas. He was like a sort of guy who wasn't a uh, you know a moral superhero. He would be. He would have his weaknesses and i think um in harry's case he he's a man of contradictions he is um he's uh, around 40 years old uh single um his girlfriend um, uh, committed suicide when he was young um he's an alcoholist um partly uh maybe because of uh, what has happened in his uh, in his life at a young age but also alcoholism runs in his family Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is like he's he's not uh, he's not you know the 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 he doesn't drink like the cool American hardboiled detective who wakes up a bit hungover in the morning making cool remarks about this uh, about it. Uh, when Harry starts drinking, he uh, he stops functioning. He can't work, and uh, he's um, he's just um, he's just drinking. That's all he's doing. Um, but. Um, uh, on the other hand, he he is always the first guy uh, uh, at work in the morning. Um, his apartment is very tidy. He's trying to keep his life very simple. He's very disciplined when he's not drinking. Um, he he tried to stay away from close relationships, uh, probably because uh, the lesson he learned is that if you if you love people, uh, they will be taken away from you. 
that is like his uh, his mother died when he was uh, young. Like I said, his girlfriend committed suicide. And um, early on in the series, also his uh, the one colleague that he has a close relationship to, uh, uh, she is also uh, killed uh, on duty. Um, so he is um, he is a very lonely man. He he uh, likes to s- to stay that way. He 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 may appear uh, a bit uh, cold and harsh. Uh, yet he's he's this very romantic person and very passionate pers- uh, person. He's very passionate about his work, and he does uh, he does believe in um, in uh, the Scandinavian society. I mean, in in the political system, he believes in law and order. On the other hand, he probably feels closer to the criminals that he's chasing than his colleagues at the police force, um, and um, he is. A man who doesn't always do the right things uh, morally, and I, I think that is what people find so exciting about Harry is that mm-hmm. they never never know whether he's going to do the right thing or not. But they they cheer for him. They want him to do the right thing. And in in my eyes, he's a hero because uh, he he may not do the right thing on all occasions, but he will always wake up the next morning with good intentions you know and 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 hoping to do the right thing so he's a man is he's, he's a man with uh, some weaknesses in his character on the other hand he's a man with uh, uh, with uh, with a conscious con- consciousness and uh, and um, uh, so he's a hero in that he never gives up one of the things that that I think is really interesting about Harry is the way that you work with the um, his alcoholism um, to create a, a, the way it affects his perceptions, and I think even at the, at a prose level, you, you you work this very well to give us this sense of discontinuity that of in, in his experiences, and that makes the 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 narrative seem kind of surreal. Mm. Uh, I have. When I worked with his alcohol, or when I decided that I would um, use alcoholism as his uh, Achilles heel, um, uh, I thought of. Um, I remember thinking about Superman. As I, I was never a Superman uh, uh, fan, uh, but I uh, I liked Batman, but not <laughs> Superman. It was, uh, uh, and I wasn't sure why. And uh, but then I realized it, it was because I. I thought it was boring that he was you know, that he didn't have any weaknesses. Okay, he had one, and that was kryptonite. And I think that without the kryptonite, Superman would never have succeeded as a you know as a popular uh, uh, hero. Um, but so I knew that okay, I had to give Harry this uh, this kryptonite, so it, it would be alcohol. And then I started looking for uh, for role models uh, <laughs> uh, that are people that I that I knew. And I talked to people. I went to AA meetings. I was allowed to get in there and um, um, and talk to them. But then I realized that you know, alcoholism it's 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 like any other uh, you know uh, thing in in your life or in, in your personality that is different from person to person. It's it's not like you can describe an alcoholist is like this or like that. Is um, it's uh, so I. I concluded that okay, um, he has to be, he his alcoholism uh, can't be you know the res- result of, um, of of research. 
it has to be fiction. It has to be someone that I can believe in myself. It has to be a human being. Um, and so that was, you know, like my basic idea, uh, idea for his alcoholism. One of the things I think that's really interesting about your your mysteries um, is that, well, here in America we have mystery and we have a history of mystery fiction, but we don't actually have a whole lot of history that's taken place on American soil. I mean, it's we came to being and now it's about it. And it's, but there hasn't been a lot of turmoil uh, compared to, say, Europe, Norway. I mean, there you're surrounded by history. You're immersed in, literally in millennia of history. And, and you use history, I think, as it's something that, that is of recurring interest to you. So talk about how history and maybe I, I'm wondering if your your work is in economics has informs any of this history. Um. Well, I think uh, first of all, uh, I think that uh, my 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 work as an uh, economist uh, um, has very little to do with my writing, mm -hmm. and also my my music. I I try to avoid the milieus that I've too uh, that I'm too close to. Uh, actually, I uh, I like better to to write about milieus where I have to do research. It uh, makes it easier for uh, somehow to be outside looking in mm -hmm, instead mm -hmm. of already being inside and try to describe it to somebody outside. Um, mm -hmm. um, but um, history, yes, I, I think what I've used, especially in my books or especially in one novel, The Red Breast, is mm -hmm. uh, the Norwegian experiences during the Second World War, which is uh, a very important part of uh, Norway's self-image as a nation because Norway is is a very young nation. We were uh, in union with Sweden up until 1905. Mm -hmm. So we have sort sort of uh, had to um, to 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 create um, a self image after 1905, and it's very much based on um, uh, explorers going to the North Pole and the South Pole, and uh, our resistance. Uh, uh, during the world war when we uh, when we were occupied by the Germans. And it is especially this uh, history that we have written about ourselves during the Second World War that has been very interesting uh, for me uh, to see how um, how every country will try to make uh, themselves, you know, the heroes in, in their own movie. Um, so I have sort of um, tried to not not uh, revise that history, but to um, to, um, to to point to uh, to some other stories that Norwegians may not like to hear about the Second World War, and I could do that because my my mother's side of the family they were on the resistance in the resistance movement, mm -hmm. while part of my father's uh, family fought with the Germans against the Russians. Uh, now they, my father grew up in Brooklyn, New York, together with my grandparents. And when they uh, came back to Norway in the 30s, they were very anti-communism. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And so when uh, the Germans uh, occupied Norway, um, it was like this, or that um, Europe at that time had two strong uh, uh, persons that they could choose between. I mean, the old democracies like England and uh, France were literally bankrupt. Uh, America was a long, uh, uh, was on the other side of the globe, and uh, so they could choose between Stalin and Hitler. 
And uh, for uh, for my father's family, that was an easy choice. I mean, uh, they feel somehow related culturally to the Germans, while the Russians they were like the you know the big scary enemy. Uh, so they chose to uh, to fight with the Germans uh, against the Russians on the Eastern Front. Um, but uh, after the uh, after the war, uh, uh, the my father who had uh, fought on the Eastern Front, he had to go to jail for three years. Um, so it was strange, I guess, when he met my mother, who had uh, herself been in the resistance movement. They met some years after the, the war, and I asked them about how, uh, you know, the wedding day with, the, uh, you know, the <laughs> family's meeting, how that was. But it was actually, it, it, it was it was okay. But uh, it's very interesting to be, you know, in a family where, where history, uh, uh, uh or at least the neo history plays such an important role, and uh, you can hear stories about him uh, fighting in the trenches against the Russians, and my mother, you know, uh, 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 running the streets of all of a sudden like an undercover agent. I've been speaking with Joe Nespo. His new novel is The Devil Star. Thank you for joining me, Joe. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.